Section 12 of History of New Brunswick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. History of New Brunswick by Peter Fisher. Section 12. From the foregoing statement, it plainly appears that chief of the export trade of this province consists of timber, which is its natural stock or capital and as there are many articles taken in exchange from the mother country which are indispensably necessary to the inhabitants of this province, it points out the necessity of paying strict attention to its preservation. In this country there is no article or articles that can in any degree furnish exports equal to the pine which is manufactured in the simplest manner, and got to market with but little trouble. So simple is the process that most settlers who have the use of the axe can manufacture it, the woods furnishing a sort of simple manufactory for the inhabitants, from which, after attending to their farms in the summer, they can draw returns during the winter for those supplies which are necessary for the comfort of their families. This being the case, the preservation of our forests becomes of prime importance to the prosperity of the province. The evils that must arise to the province by allowing the timber to be monopolized and hastily cut off are many. The timber standing in the country, particularly on the crown lands, may be considered as so much capital or stock to secure a permanent trade and promote the solid improvement of the country. Most of the lands in this province where pine is found are intermixed with other timber and although the precise spots on which the pine grows are unfit for agriculture, without much labor, yet there are most always spots adjoining where a settler may cultivate with success, so that in a lot of two or three hundred acres there is generally enough for tillage, and a man settling on such land could always choose his spot for farming and keep his timber to cut at his leisure his pine so reserved would, as long as it lasted, serve him as a resource from whence, after attending to his farming in the summer, he could draw returns during the winter, for which supplies as would be necessary for his family and for improving his farm. To make this more evident, we will suppose a man settling on a wilderness lot. Like most settlers, he has but little save his own labor. Perhaps he has a small family, he commences with cutting down a small spot and erecting a hut. Say, in the summer or fall, he then moves on his family and looks round for sustenance till he can raise his first crop. In doing this, his funds are exhausted, and he wants by his own labor to replenish them during the winter and provide a few implements of husbandry and nails, etc., for building a barn now supposing his lot to be back from the river and at a distance from old settlements where labor is wanted what does he do why he resorts to his pine to the simple manufactory before noticed and makes a few tons say twenty thirty forty or fifty according to his ability carefully cutting the underbrush and timber so as to put his land where he is working in a fair train for clearing this timber he probably gets hauled to the water on shares, if he is very poor and has no team, the returns for which the next spring 
furnishes him with supplies, and enables him to continue on his land and prosecute his farming. If he cannot do without the return of his timber till spring, he applies to a merchant, who, if the man is of good fame, advances him such articles as may be particularly necessary for his family. This enables him to find labor on his own lot and stay with his family, whereas if he has no such resource, he must leave his home and go to a distance from his family, seeking labor. And probably they may be so circumstanced as not to be left safely alone, and he has to take them with him, which breaks up his family and prevents him from settling. If a number of families commence a settlement together, where the timber has not been destroyed, but where a fair proportion is still growing on the land, they exchange labor with each other, and by their joint exertions, manufacture and transport their own lumber to market. In this way they are enabling from year to year to prosecute their settlement and pay for their grants, the timber answering as a first crop fully grown, and a resource to make returns for necessaries. By this method, as the pine disappears, houses and barns will rise in its place, and the country, instead of a barren waste, will exhibit flourishing settlements peopled with a race who will know the value of their improvements, and feel their interest identified with the country, and whose attachment to the government will increase with their growing possessions. Their children, raised on the soil from the strong principles of early association, will feel that interest in the welfare of the country that no transient advantage can produce, and grow up an ornament and strength to the province. On the contrary, if the lumber is cut off by mere speculators, the land will be left in an impoverished state, much valuable timber will be wantonly destroyed, and the places from whence the timber is taken will be left an uncultivated waste. Settlers will neither have the inclination or ability to occupy them. While the major part of the men employed in getting the lumber for the merchants, instead of making a comfortable provision for their families, will wear out the prime of their days without making any permanent establishment, and keeping their families shifting about the country like vagrants. Their children, for the want of employment, and the direction of their fathers, brought up in idleness, their education and morals neglected, and bad habits acquired, will be the reverse of those before noticed, and many of them will become a vagrant race, unconcerned or uninterested in the welfare of the country, and in many instances a nuisance to it while their parents, after they get unfit for the business, will be turned off in debt. In short, it will be the most direct way to prevent the settlement of the back lands, and to produce, what is the bane of all countries, a race of inhabitants who have no interest in the soil or welfare of the province. Statement of the Expenses on 1,000 Tons of Pine Timber manufactured on the Wabskahagan, a branch of the River Tobique. The secretaries, governors, and surveyor-general's fees of office, including the charge for writing petition, one pound ten shillings. 
duty on 1,000 tons at one shilling, 50 pounds, less by amount included in fees, etc., one pound five shillings, total, 48 pounds, 15 shillings, incidental expenses to the applicant, 15 shillings, surveyor's fees for measuring the timber berth, seven pounds, Expenses for axemen and chainmen, five pounds, ten shillings. Traveling expenses thence and back, five hundred miles, eight pounds. Total, seventy-one pounds, ten shillings. Ten men at five pounds per month, and an overseer at ten pounds, say for six months, sixty pounds. Six yoke of oxen at thirty pounds per yoke, one hundred and eighty pounds. One pair draft horses, fifty pounds. One boat, sail, and gear, thirty-six pounds. Two canoes with paddles, six pounds. Sleds, chains, harness, etc., twenty-seven pounds, ten shillings. Eleven men's provisions for six months at eighty-five shillings per head per month, two hundred and seventy-four pounds, ten shillings. Hay for oxen, etc., thirty tons at ten pounds, three hundred pounds. Grain for ditto, twenty-five pounds. Grain for ditto, one thousand two hundred and fifty-nine pounds. Total expense on 1,000 tons of timber at the brow ready for rafting, 1,330 pounds, 10 shillings. Expense of rafting, anchors, cables, ropes, etc., 50 pounds. Total, 1,380 pounds, 10 shillings. Deduct for articles that may be useful another season, viz., oxen, horses, boat, tackle, etc., 214 pounds, canoes, sleds, harness, anchors, etc., etc., 50 pounds, deduct, total, 264 pounds, grand total, 1,116 pounds, 10 shillings. From the foregoing statement, admitting it to be near the truth, it appears that the expenses on 1,000 tons of timber got on the river Tobique, amounts to 1,116 pounds, 10 shillings, to which is to be added the expense and risk of taking it down to St. John, a distance of about 250 miles, the loss by casualties on a rapid river, where men and teams frequently break through the ice and are swept away by the velocity of the current. When all the above expenses are deducted from the returns of the timber, it will leave but a little for those who carry on the business and very often involves them in inextricable difficulties. The preceding statement points out the necessity of adopting a more prudent system in conducting the timber business. Not to push the trade to such an extent to retrench the expenses by raising the heavy parts of the supplies near the timber districts and to follow up the timber trade with the improvement of the country and cultivation of the soil. Another great drawback to the prosperity of the province 
is the great consumption of ardent liquors, partly occasioned by the present modes of conducting the timber business. The amount of spirituous liquors imported and consumed in the province in 1824 at the least calculation was 120,000 pounds, exclusive of the county of Charlotte, and add to this amount the cost of the transport of the liquor to the interior and the enormous charges on the article in the distant parts of the province, the cost of the consumer may be fairly reckoned at treble the amount, making in the whole the gross sum of 360,000 pounds for ardent liquors alone, consumed by the inhabitants of the province, being nearly 20 gallons on an average for every male over 16 years of age. The number of inhabitants in this province, according to the census of last year, is 74,176, besides the large settlement of Madawaska and the parish of West Isles, and as it is probable the numbers in the different parishes are taken in some instances under the real amount, the whole population may be fairly rated in round numbers at 80,000. The subjoined statement will show the population of the different counties and parishes in 1824. End of section 12. Recording by Roger Moline.